You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. Among the more minor tragedies of the 20th century has to be included the invention of the game of Monopoly. It's just the worst. It's just the worst. And and it's made even worse when people try to play it like Christians. When I was a teenager, I used to say to to people, when we were unfortunate enough to have to play Monopoly, I'd say, like, okay, this is Monopoly, not Christianity. Do not show mercy on someone when they land on your hotel and boardwalk. Take every dime that sucker has so that they're out of this game and we are all one step closer to being done. Because if you show mercy and you lend to those who are in need in Monopoly, what happens? The game never ends. And we're all sad. Because that's just not the way the game of Monopoly works. Showing mercy to those in need, lending to those who ask, it's just not the way it works. And so we can't help but wonder when we read Jesus' words here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Who takes your cloak, don't don't withhold your tunic either. If they beg from you, give them your goods and do not demand them back. That's just not the way the world works, guys. It's complete nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. How could you structure a society like that? And what would it even mean to actually do that? You'll wind up naked really really quickly and hungry really quickly. And and why would you do that? Why would you give someone something who who doesn't deserve it, who's who's malicious and hurting you on purpose? Wouldn't that just encourage their behavior more? It's easy to look at Jesus' words and say, this is just not how the world works. And so they're a challenge to us, who'd call Jesus our Lord, to wonder what do they really mean and how do we actually try to do them? And why would we bother when it seems so contrary to the way our world is? Now, I want to start by clearing away some misuses of this passage. Jesus is not here giving us a civil law, a prescription for how to structure society. As though a Christian judge who, when when a thief is brought before him, should award him with more possessions of his victim. Or the abuse victim should be allowed to be struck a second time because that's justice. No, these are not civil laws. They are specifically addressed by Jesus in the text to you who hear. To you who hear. That is, as you might, might hear the echo of a bunch of other times, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. These are words addressed to disciples, not about a civic ordering of society, but to their relationships with one another. How do they live as those who hear Jesus and call him Lord? And that means we got to kind of push aside another bad way of using this text, which I'll just call, it's, it's not the lazy Lutheran reading, it's the bad Lutheran reading. And that is to say, this is, is crushing, devastating law, right? So it's Jesus telling us just how much we need him and how much he has done for us. And so we are freed from this. We don't have to do it because Jesus has done it all for us. He is not going to let you off that easy. If we had another week of epiphany, we'd read what happens after this. And Jesus wraps up his sermon by saying this. Why do you call me Lord 
and do not do what I tell you. No, this is indeed crushing law. And I spent a good amount of time this week thinking about all the times I have failed to do this, reading this. Times I have been stingy with people who needed from me. Times I've been unforgiving with people who have harmed me. Times people have cursed me and I have cursed them right back. If not explicitly, I've done so in my heart and my mind. The Lutheran temptation to kind of say, this has been fulfilled in Christ and therefore we don't have to do it, explicitly ignores the actual words of Jesus here. I say to you who listen, you who have ears to hear, you who know God as Father, as the merciful Father. And if we don't get that first address, this is addressed to the believing community, we won't get anything else that follows. Because Jesus is addressing here his disciples. This is what we call in, in Luke's Sermon on the Plain, which is his, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus speaking specifically to his disciples. He has just told them about the upside-down world they have, they have entered by following him. That blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are you when people revile you and hate you on my, for not my name's sake. And woe, woe to those who are happy and have everything they want. Woe to those of whom everyone speaks well. How on earth can that be? That doesn't seem to be the way the world works either. So how can it be that we are to love our enemies so we've been going over the last seven weeks through a series, and we've really been chewing on and contemplating what it means to say that God is love, the divine character, who God truly is, that we see revealed, manifested, it makes an epiphany in the life of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord, to say he is the son who shows us the father, who shows us the father's heart. He's the one action of God that we can look to, to know who God eternally is. He is the Father who loves his Son in the Spirit, eternally the triune God who created a world that it might share in his love and might become a conduit of his love. And this God got involved in his world, committing himself to people, making himself available to hear and answer his prayer. We've heard how this God turns upside down the world that we think and we know that we think we know. He's the God that Jesus teaches us to address as father and will later teach us to pray forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and that line that haunting little line in the lord's prayer is what our text focuses us on today the way that god's action the truth about who god is as eternal infinite creative love the implications that has for our hands and our mouths and our social relationships Love your enemies. So let's dig into the text. What does that mean? Now, first, you might ask, love your enemies. How do Christians have enemies? They're not supposed to have enemies, right? I mean, to to love someone is to say that you're not going to be my enemy. Well, this is kind of answered if you just look a little closer at, at the text, because Jesus has just come from telling his disciples, blessed are you when they persecute you on my, for my name's sake, for the sake of the son of man. And now he says, love your enemies. Well, if you're not supposed to have any enemies, that doesn't mean that someone else might not really be determined to be your enemy. And that's what we find. Do good to those who hate you, who curse you, who abuse you, who strike you on the cheek, who take away your cloak. While a Christian might, by virtue of loving others, might be resolved to have no enemies, precisely for that reason, there might be others who are resolved to be their enemy and your enemy. And Jesus is here introducing, laying bare what it's like to treat those people. How are we to react 
What does it mean to be blessed when people hate you, exclude you, and spurn your name on account of the Son of Man? And this is actually a really important reflection for us because we, our culture is shifting, right? You guys all know this. The culture is shifting. 50 years ago, it was socially advantageous to be a Christian, right? You, you wanted to be on your, at the roster at some church because that was the only way that you could be respectable in your society, right? But as time is moving along over the last 10, 15 years, that's changed. And more and more and more, it is becoming the opposite. That being actively involved, being an active Christian, is becoming not just something that is socially awkward, but increasingly defined as evil, defined as a moral wrong. To tell the story that we tell as followers of Jesus is becoming seen as something that is morally evil by our, by our culture. And that means that we've seen and will see Christians being hated and cursed and abused, publicly dishonored. That, by the way, is what the striking on the cheek thing's all about. It's, it's socially shaming someone. Or, to use a more contemporary word, canceled because of their faith. Christians will have property taken from them. And the temptation of the church at this moment is to fight fire with fire, to fight back, to shout back to those who shout at us, to fight memes with memes and lawsuits with lawsuits, to overcome evil with evil, because that's the way the world works. That's the only way we can protect ourselves. But calling Jesus Lord means giving him the right to say how the world actually works. And not letting our hearts, our societies, our histories, our cultures tell us what is wisdom, what is right, and what is wrong. For Jesus knows that there's a logic to this world. He knows there's a logic to this sinful human race. If you love those who love you, he says in the next part, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Sinners do the same. If you lend, sinners can do that too. But you are different. It shall not be so among you. See, the world does indeed work a certain way because it is under the power and reign of sin. It is under the power and reign of death as we just sang in that hymn. And so Jesus wants us to know that there are two different kinds of love. There is one love human love that is built on desire and reciprocity. I love you because you love me. I do this for you, you do this for me. This reciprocity and this desire are, lie underneath our, our notion of justice. You do bad, therefore I do bad to you, right? You do well, therefore I do good things to you. This idea of this for that is so fundamental to the way we make our way through the world. It's the only way that we as sinners, as people who, apart from Christ, even can think Right? And when Jesus says sinners here, he's not talking about all people. He's talking about those who are not followers of Jesus. That is, those who do not know God as Father, they can do all this. Because that kind of love that is built on reciprocity and desire, it's the way the world seems to work under the reign of sin and death. But it could not be more different from the love that actually created the universe. The love that actually made real things is a love that knows no reciprocity that knows no desire for self. It is the love that is sheer, self-giving, gratuitous, emptying. That's the love of God we've been chewing on for the last seven weeks. This infinite creative love that gave being to the entire universe with the thought of receiving nothing back that could possibly compensate God for it. He loved all things into being, and he sustains them at every single moment 
by that love. And we know this because that same love was manifested and revealed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, where he came and died at the hands of and for the sake of sinful human beings, ungrateful human beings. This is radically different kind of love, and it makes no sense to us. We catch a tiniest glimpse of it in the way the parents love their children. But even that still most times falls to the love of reciprocity. But this is the love that found each one of you. That found each one of you precisely as an ungrateful sinner, as an evil person, and gave his life to reclaim you. And to bring you into the world as it really works. As it really is. Because this is the love that forgives you, even when you are stingy to the needy. When you are unforgiving with the sinful. When you seek vengeance for those who have hurt you. Because he is the God, Jesus says, who is kind to the merciful, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You couldn't ask for a better way to sum up what I've been trying to say for the last seven weeks. You will be sons, that is, you will be like the Most High, who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So to call Jesus Lord is to say that he has the right to define what's real and what's most fundamental to existence. And he says, mercy, not justice. Mercy for those who do not deserve it. Therefore, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Those things, as they practically play out, are all the expression of our recognition that God has encountered us as those who deserve death, but we're given life. And we're given a promise of life. And so, by that faith, by that knowledge, we actually can try to live in a world where love is not reciprocated. To live in a world where we are to love our enemies and do good and to lend expecting nothing in return. To see a reward that will be great because it will be conformity to the one who is real. So how do we do this? How on earth can you do this? I would love to have lots of practical examples for you. But I'm really so bad at this, I don't. We do this by doing what we've been doing for the last seven weeks. By focusing on that father, that father who is merciful, so that we then can show mercy to those who do not deserve it. We focus on that son who gave himself at, to die at the hands of sinners so we can recognize, hey, wait, maybe death is not the worst thing that can happen to me. Because that guy rose from the dead and he's my Lord. And he promised to raise me too. You cannot do this without a belief in the resurrection. You cannot do this without the belief that this world, as it seems to be, does not get to be the last word. God does. God gets to be and gets to say the last word. The God who is mercy holds the future. And without that, you will never even come close to taking a step in this direction. That God is merciful. And that that's what's most true. How do you even get that in your mind and your life? It's too much. It's too much to take in. It's too much to, to wrap your heart and your mind around. And so Jesus does what good people do, what good speakers do when it's hard to say something. He gives you a metaphor. Take it down out of the clouds to the ice cream shop. You've kind of been to an ice cream shop, right? And you see them put ice cream on your cone, and you think in your heart, you could put more in there. <laughs> that cone is empty. You just set it on top, right? You're being stingy with me. And maybe if you're a good self-negotiator, you say, come on, come on, keep going. 
That's not how God works. God is like the salesman in the marketplace. That when you come to receive your sack of wheat, he takes it, pulls it up, loads it, and then he pushes it down. And then he shakes it a little bit so it all settles. And then he pours it so it overflows again. And then he pushes it down and he shakes it so it settles. And then he pours it over again. That's the measure God uses with you. So use it with others. Because that's the way the world really works. Amen. And may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.